Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. If you guys have your Bibles, let's open up to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. As you guys turn to that, um, I'm just reminded of a story um, of when I was watching my son, Ezra. I got a two-year-old son, um, Ezra, and we had just turned on a new movie that had just come on to Disney+. Plus. Right? Have you guys ever heard of the movie, The Good Dinosaur? Yes? No? Maybe so? Somebody? Right? So I was watching this movie kind of watching. It was mostly my son watching. He was watching this movie called The Good Dinosaur. A little background to the story, right? It's this, it's this movie of how there's this alternate history of how, you know, the, the meteor that was supposed to uh, extinct all the dinosaurs actually passes over the earth. And um, millions, millions of years later, uh, I'm not going to try to say this dinosaur name, but... <laughs> There's, no, I won't say. Um, but you have these dinosaurs, right? There's, there's, you have a little family of dinosaurs, and they actually become corn farmers, right? Corn farmers, just follow with me along. Just follow with me on this story. I know, but it's Disney, right? So they have, there's these dinosaurs that become corn farmers. There's mom, dad, and three kids, right? Mom, dad's name is Henry. Mom's name is Ida. And then you have the three kids, Libby, Buck and Arlo. Arlo is our main character, right? And so while, while all of his siblings, right, Libby and Buck are having success on putting their mark, right, as, as they continue to complete certain tasks on the farm, they're able to put their mark on this corn silo that they have. And Arlo has this more timid nature about him that makes difficult uh, that makes the task very difficult for him. And so Henry attempts to give Arlo a sense of purpose by putting him in charge of guarding their silo. And so what he does, what Henry does is he helps him set up a trap. Uh, he sets up a trap because they started noticing that corn and food was starting to go missing. And so when they set up this trap, they actually capture this cave boy. But Arlo can't bring himself to kill this cave boy. And so what he does is he sets him free. Henry finds out and gets extremely disappointed in Arlo for not being able to do what he needed to do. And so they go off and start tracking and leading them into this, in, into this uh, ravine. And Henry, when a storm starts to happen, and Henry essentially saves Arlo from this flash flood by pushing him up up onto an edge, but in the process, Henry dies from the debris. I know, very dark story, right? Um, and my son sees this, right? As he's seeing the storm, the lightning, and the rain coming down, my son runs over to me. He grabs my, he grabs my pants and starts pulling me over, and he's like looking over at the TV. He has this like face of absolute distress, 
And he conveys to me, and the only two words he knows on how to express this feeling, and he goes, Dad, he goes, Appa, oh no. Terrence <laughs> Terry goes, oh no. And as I'm watching this, right, I'm looking at my son and how he has just been absolutely consumed by what looks like a mixture of fear of worry and concern. Almost looks really stressed for a two-year-old, right? At some fictitious character he's seeing on the screen, but I imagine seems very real to him. It made me think, how oftentimes do we do that too to ourselves? That we see something happening, maybe, you know, social media is very big in our lives, whether you have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever it is, or you just turn on Channel 4 News, and we see what's going on in the world, whether it's, you know, a couple months ago, it was like monkeypox, you have COVID going up and down, you see things going on across the world, political, political and social issues that keep coming and going, and that, that begins to consume our lives with anxiety and fear. In the same way I see my son Ezra looking at Arlo and just being worried. And that's not even to describe the already burdens that we have on our shoulders between day-to-day -day lives. Between things that might be going on at work. Things that might be going on in your families or homes. We often consume ourselves with this fear and anxiety. I remember... A little while back, I sent my wife and kids down to Florida uh, for a family vacation, and a little family spat starts to break out. Uh, and gradually, that, big, that grows into a big fight, and my wife calls me and is just kind of like talking to me about it, of like what's going down. I'm up here because, you know, we have, we're, I'm, I'm doing church stuff, and I'm just, I remember... I was driving down from church, going back home, and my wife calls me, and she's just sharing, like, what's going on, the weight of her heart. And it's just like, it's like that powerless feeling of things are out of control. I mean, I'm physically, I'm physically so far away from my children that I can't do anything to protect them. I'm worried about the kids, I'm worried about my wife, I'm worried about my sisters, and just how can this be possibly resolved? And I'm wishing that I could just be there to protect them. And perhaps you've been in this place too. Maybe you're experiencing loss or disappointment in your life right now. And you're being consumed by the fear and anxiety, the worry that follows, follows that. And so the question I want us to be able to tackle here today is how does God speak to us in these moments of places? How does God speak into the places where we're being consumed by anxiety and fear? And how does he show us to respond? And so would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 to 7. Would you all stand with me as we read the word of God this morning?
I believe it's up on the screen as well. So I will open up with verse 4. Um, I would like for you guys to read verse 5. I'll read verse 6. And then all together we'll close with verse 7. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 to 7, the word of God says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And all together, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Would you, you may be seated. Would you just join me once more in a quick prayer before we start? Lord, I just pray. Lord, I just pray for any weight that might be weighing down on the shoulders of your people here today. And Lord, I'm just reminded of how through your son you once spoke to his disciples and his people. Come to me all ye who are weary and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lord, we come before you now for a fresh word to come and just speak life into us. So, Lord, would you just come have your way. Spirit, Holy Spirit, just come. Fill us anew this morning. Have your way. In your son's name, pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. You see, Paul, he shares this because... I believe there's a truth and reality of life that there will always be conflict as long as we live in this world. But it's this way, but it's this, it's this way that God's people are called to respond to this anxiety and fear that comes with that conflict that really brings to life the character of his church. See, I love the way Bill Johnson describes it. He says, backsliders and the heart will always judge God by what he didn't do. But those who run with the tenderness for who he is will always define by what he has said and what he has done. See, you don't get to choose stuff like, I don't want to experience any pain, I don't want to experience loss, I don't want to experience disappointment, I don't want to feel that part of life. And to be frank, like our children, there's only so much we can shelter them from. And that's why he's always saying, he's saying things like rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything giving thanks. Now, I remember the first time when, when I was in ministry at my old church, my, my youth group was growing. I was, I was glad. I just jumped into ministry. It's been about like three years in. And mini, my youth group was growing. It was on fire for God. The numbers had just, like just barely doubled within three years. And worship was growing. The kids were on fire for Jesus. And then you had what we all know as uh, church politics come in a small church split begins to happen and I just I'll never forget the day I had this one sixth grader come up to me 
he had just gotten into youth group. He was so excited because his older brothers and his older brother and sister was doing all these amazing things in the church, and he was excited to be a part of it. And I remember him just coming up to me on his last day. He didn't know why. I was still processing, and he comes up to me and he just he just hugs me, knowing that this is his last day. I remember his little chest just resting right here, just right right on my sternum. And he says, goodbye, Pastor Paul. And as I held him, I began to feel his little body start shaking. And the feeling that I had was just this immense, just disappointment at the adults. Like you, like, it's just this immense disappointment in the adults. Like you just couldn't deal with your crap. That's a Hebrew word, guys. All right. He couldn't deal, they couldn't deal with their junk. They couldn't get it all sorted out in the way God calls them to. And at the end of it all, the people that really had to feel the back end of it all was the children. And I just felt this immense disappointment, so much disappointment to the point that I was like, this ain't it. If this is church, I don't want this. It's immense frustration that a 12-year-old boy had to be denied of what he was so eager, eagerly looking for. And I remember just trying to process through this. God, why would you call me into ministry to only experience this kind of disappointment? Why would you hype me up through all this? To lead me into something that feels like false hope. And the Lord led me back to this passage saying, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything, give thanks. See, the truth is, this, these verses honestly are pretty useless if you're going to... Actually, these verses are completely useless unless you're going to experience loss and disappointment. See, if... Nobody needs to be taught to rejoice if everything works out the way you want it to. Honestly, you don't need to be taught to rejoice if everything works out the way you want it to. Like it's pointless. And so we understand that his nature, the nature of God is defined by the promise and by his history. See, his testimony, His history, his promise is what we build that, build that theology around. By who he is, by who God is. See, there's this word in the Bible we often see called peace. And as we study the fruit of the Spirit, we're in the series of the fruit of the Spirit. We've talked about love, we talked about joy. Today, we're going to address what peace looks like in the fruit of the Spirit. In the Greek, Paul writes this word. Irene. Can you guys say that word with me? Irene. Come on. Get some, let me get some, get some oomph into this. Irene. There we go. But in the Hebrew, there's this word called shalom. Everybody say that word with me. Shalom. Ah, come on. I need some more, I need some more grit. Shalom. Good, good. Now this word shalom is still used today. It's actually a traditional greeting among Jewish people, and it can be used to convey and like wish prosperity, well-being, 
um, maybe success or harmony amongst friends, family, unity, whatever blessing you want. But the literal translation of the word shalom means to become complete or whole. So it can be referred as like a stone that has been made perfect, a whole shape with no cracks. It can also be referred to as a completed stone wall that has no gaps, no missing bricks. In fact, shalom refers to something that is complex. It has a lot of pieces that is in the state of completeness or wholeness. And the core idea is that life is very complex. I mean, we all know that. We all know how complicated life can be. But even in the midst of that, shalom means that even in the midst of the complication and the complexity of it, full of moving parts, relationships, situations, it is still complete. But when any of these are misaligned or go missing, your shalom begins to fall apart. See, life is no longer whole and there now needs to be a restoration in our lives. In fact, that's what the word shalom is used as when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom means to, to restore. So we see like in 1 Kings 9 when Solomon, he brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it with that final brick. Or if you accidentally damage your neighbor's property, I don't know, maybe you accidentally run through their driveway for some whatever odd reason. You bring shalom to them by, bringing, by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what is missing and you restore it into that wholeness. The same goes for that human relationship we see in Proverbs 16, 7. It's to reconcile and to heal broken relationships means to bring shalom. And when a rival kingdom is called to make shalom, in the Bible, it doesn't just mean that they stop fighting. But shalom means that they start working together for each other's benefits. See, the state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate but as we know, it never happens. And let me challenge us here with the thought that what if, what if the reason why our, our lives become so consumed with fear and anxiety is because the peace that we're called to cultivate is not one that is restorative or whole. But in fact, by our culture, it's very individual and divided. What if instead our peace being shalom is actually more self-absorbed and creating a false pretense of peace? Follow me with this when I say, see, when we look at peace, many people define it differently. For those who follow maybe like a, a certain religion, like we see in Eastern religions like Buddhism, it's the search of enlightenment or nirvana. It's to escape that cycle of suffering and rebirth. For some, peace may look like a quiet space. For maybe, for maybe the elderly, just wanting that quiet space away from a rowdy neighbor or their children. For a business owner, 
Maybe it might be the worry about their bills and keeping up their business. And so peace may look like prosperity for them. Maybe if you're a patient waiting for your test results, peace may actually mean good health. And if you're like me, a parent with a two-year-old and a three-month-old, peace for me and my wife looks like two children who finally go to sleep at night. Right? Can I get an amen for that? Yeah. Amen. Now, I'm sure that we all have our own definition of peace, especially in the season that you are in. But the thing about peace, our peace, is oftentimes it's defined by the condition, the condition of the life that you're in, the season that you may think or the peace that you may desire. See, our, diction, our, our own dictionary even defines peace as freedom or a period of freedom from public disturbance or war to calm and quiet state of mind. But you see the difference between peace and shalom is that peace can dictate, is that one can dictate their peace, but shalom is a mutual agreement. See, peace is temporary, but shalom is permanent. Peace is partial, but shalom means to be whole and complete. For us, many times, peace may seem like an absence of commotion, but shalom actually means a presence of restoration. See, the fruit of the spirit that is peace is not simply an absence of conflict or loss or disappointment in our lives. But it's actually taking what is broken and restoring it back to wholeness. And that's what Jesus does for us. You see, when we walked in shalom and the wholeness of God in the garden, there was a moment where we got to stand in full completeness with him. But when we fell to sin, that wholeness was broken. But God who loves us so would send his one and only son to restore that, that which was broken and to make it whole once more. But shalom isn't just mean, doesn't just mean restoration itself, but it means that Jesus is the restoration himself. See, John 14 tells us this, that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. See, we cannot come back to wholeness with God without Jesus. John 15 goes on to tell us that when we abide in Christ, what we ask shall be done because it is through Christ we bear much fruit. And that fruit that we bear isn't just a fabricated peace. But it is true peace. So to embody that fruit of the Spirit means to actually abide in Him. See, that's why Paul tells us in Philippians to rejoice in the Lord always. And he repeats again rejoice because it's in God that we find the joy of peace the gentleness that flows from us to be evident to all that comes when the Lord is near see in fact it's the presence of God that that almost comes out of you that people around you are able to experience the presence of God too See, Paul encourages not to be anxious about anything, but in every situation, good and bad. That we respond to that 
in prayer and even in sometimes give thanks. Because it's in those trials that we are growing. See, my father used to tell me, you never get better by always winning. But it's by learning from your losses. Sometimes, and maybe there's some of us here today that have been running from our losses for a long time. We've been running away from the issues, the real troubles in our life. We've been avoiding the conversations that we need to have. And we're wondering why we still have not experienced the peace of God yet. But as Paul encourages us, step into that. Step into it in a response with prayer. And even in some way we say, thank you, God. And with all your prayers, lay it all down. Present it all before God. Because it is the peace of God, that shalom, that irene. That transcends all understanding beyond what you and I can comprehend. That goes into the mystery and unknown that we see even through our children. That childlike faith is what really guards our hearts. It's what guards our minds. Not from, let me say that again church, not from, but against the fear and anxiety that may come. And it is, it is our peace that is secured through the rock and foundation that is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. As the worship team comes up, I'm just reminded of how even in that season, whether it was with my son as he was watching that movie. Or when I was in that season of that kid just breaking down in my arms. I ask God that question, why? Maybe you're in that season where you're, you're in that question, season of where you're asking God, why? It's not a bad question to ask, but I realized in that season, while I'm busy asking why, perhaps the real question is, God, how? How can I come back from this? How can I move forward? How can I respond? I was just reminded in scripture how the Lord comes to those who are willing to wait. See, we've, we, we've really come adapted to a culture of instant gratification, of wanting immediate results we all know the good things don't come right away I looked at my son and as he's watching this I thought back to all the worry of I had of how am I going to be a good dad and I look at my son and how he just embodies this pure and innocence this pure joy of who he is and I just think like man what I would do to just go back to that time. But I also remember that even my son, who is so good, so pure, 
God took nine months. He took his time. It took God, it took God six days to create the world, but each and every one of us, he took nine months to form. And I just think that in the season that we are in, I want to encourage you, be patient on the Lord. Because while we want instant miracles, God is saying the best is yet to come. So wherever you are, be faithful, be true, and just trust in the Lord. For he is good and his love endures forever. And so I pray that that peace of the Lord, that shalom, you would trust in the shalom that God is bringing into your life. That he is not just, just throwing bricks up so that your life looks fixed. But he's actually taking each piece by piece. The same way he formed you and making you new. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.